Here we go. Mike Leibovitz's Secret Underground Podcast. Recorded from an above-ground garage adjacent to the basement. It is... I don't even know what day it is. I think it's... Uh, I do. It's Saturday. The kids were home from school today. Uh, the kids are home from school every day. So it's sort of hard to tell what day it is based on whether or not the kids are home. But today... They were home. Uh, they are home all day, and, uh, ah, man, <sighs> we took them out of school because, you know, we're worried about them getting coronavirus and, 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 uh, dying. That's why we did that. So we took them out of school, but, man, if we're all just cooped up in this house all day, every day, we're, we're gonna kill each other. I mean, it is... It is brutal. I don't know how you guys have been quarantining out there. If you guys have, uh, if you're alone, that's got to be its own thing. If you're with people, that's its its own other thing. I mean, you know, people who are quarantining alone or with a significant other, of course, you can learn how to play the guitar or <clears throat> learn how to make sourdough bread. Quarantining with children is really great if you just never want to be able to finish a thought. You just never want a thought to complete itself in your head before someone comes running up, pulling on your sleeve, showing you a drawing of a new airship that they're going to build. We're going to build them. We're all going to build an airship. And um, we have a, a new ritual every night where uh, well, we go to bed. First, we read a story. Then we have airship talk, and we all discuss, we all give a presentation on our airship that we're going to build, and then we take questions and comments from the gallery, and um, it's a very serious matter. It's a very solemn matter, and it's one of these things, I don't know if, I again, I don't know who out there has kids, or if, if you do, if you actually like put any thought into sleep training them, and getting them, you know, on some kind of normal where you say, okay, hey, go to bed. And then they brush their teeth and they go to bed and maybe read a story. We have this problem where we'll do something one night and now it's a tradition. It's just because we do something one time, suddenly it's been sanctified and now it is a part of bedtime. So it's just this long, elaborate, constantly growing bedtime ritual. The most the most recent addition to the canon is this airship talk. And then I guess for, we did ninja talk tonight, too, on top of airship talk. So I guess now that's part of the canon. I mean, it gets to the point, I remember reading somewhere in, in ancient Rome, by the end of it, they just kept adding holidays. You had a holiday, you had another holiday. By the, by the fall of the empire, I mean, it was just... It was like there were like 180 some days were holidays, like more than half of the days were were holidays. And it maybe that's why the empire collapsed just under the sheer weight of excessive celebration. You can't have more days off than you have days on. You can't even call them days off anymore. You got to call them days on. I'm not working for the weekend. I'm weekending for the workday. Some shit, man. Anyway, we did airship talk, and I love these fucking kids. I love these fucking kids, but you cannot finish a thought. You can't get to the end 
of a thought. And I guess in some ways that's good, you know, because I do, I have some negative thoughts, you know. So, you know, I guess during normal times, I'd, you'd go down this sort of negative thought spiral, you know, I start thinking like, ah, you'll never make it. You're not good enough. Nobody needs you. We already have Jack Black, you know. And then instead of just falling into this negative cycle of, of of self-criticism and self-blame and regret you know it's nice to be uh to be interrupted with uh, you know oh you got glue in your hair all right let's let's work on that oh oh but uh it's it's uh it's a lot it really is a lot uh, I think it's also hard not being able to do comedy. I see people out there doing comedy, and I guess that's that's cool, you know. Uh, but uh, I'm not really doing any comedy. You know, I did comedy as a job, and then this pandemic hit. I'd bought a house, so I got to make a living, right? So I, for the first time in my life, I went out and I got a job. I, I went out, I decided I'm going to be, I mean, not for the first time in my life, I've gotten a job, but to, a real job to support my family. I went out and I got a job selling drugs to rich people in Manhattan. And uh, I've never felt so responsible. And, and I want to be clear, I'm not like selling drugs on a street corner. It's a job. It's like you show up at a certain time, you go where you're told when you're told to go there. It's a job. Um, and you go into these people's apartments. You do the whole sales pitch. It's sales. It's as close to a real job as I've ever had. And, you know, I think it's... But part of it is, like, I don't really understand what jobs are. Like, I don't get what people do in office. You're a project manager? Okay. Well, what does that even mean? That means nothing to me. So, I don't know. So, this was the closest thing I could think of, like... You know, when it, when when the when the thought even occurred to me, get a job. What does that mean? I'm like, oh, that's kind of like where you. It's kind of like selling drugs to people, right? But like, it's nine to five. My job's eleven to. I don't know. It's noon to eleven. But uh, yeah. So I don't know. So I doing that, but it's it's. I don't know. I just get to a point where, like, when I first started. I wanted to do a good job, right? I wanted to sell. I wanted to move. I wanted to get to the runs on time. I wanted to be the client's favorite runner, you know, and and uh, and just really do a good job. And then that showed, and then my boss liked me, and then I got on the schedule more often. It was good. I feel like I always go through this pattern with every job I've ever had for where for like three months, I'm awesome at it. And then when I figure out how to do it, I'm like, fuck this, and I start getting a bad attitude, and it just all goes down the tubes. It's almost like I don't like being good at something. Like, I like something until I know how to do it, and then I don't like it anymore. Almost like I like learning, except I hated fucking school. I think stand-up is the only job that I've ever had where I never really got sick of it. It never really, oh, except on those fucking ships. Oh, Jesus. Working stand-up on the cruise ships was the most depressing. Oh my God. Just like being on those boats. Yeah, no, that was a, that was the, the first time that it, that it ever really felt 
like a job, like work is a four-letter word, job, like doing stand-up on those cruise ships. I don't know why I hated it so much. I hated it so fucking much. I don't know why, but that's a fact. I did hate it. So there you go. That's the skinny. Oh, man. I'm in the garage. Can you hear the water? There's like a pipe. And it's like making this kind of... Can you hear that? I can definitely hear it. It's like it's filling up the washing machine, but I don't know why, because the washing machine's not running. Hell of a studio I got down here, though. Hell of a studio. It's not heated. Um, but it's a space. I have a space. I'm trying to trying to be positive. I know I started today with a, a lot of negativity. It's been a really, it's really cold here in New York and not like New York cold, but like actual cold. And, um, and of course we're, we live up at elevation. We're in the mountains a little bit. We're not in the city. We're upstate. I won't give you my address. Don't ask. It's a secret podcast. It's definitely from an undisclosed location, so don't even ask, because I won't tell you. I mean, you can ask. Go ahead and ask. I won't tell you. It doesn't matter if you ask. Asking is irrelevant. Answers will not be given. But yeah, we're upstate. A little bit. I'm not going to get more specific than that. Anyway, it's cold here, and so... Normally, I mean, the whole point of having a house and a yard with kids is you send them outside. They go run around and you can hear yourself think. But everyone's just been cooped up inside and it's just, they're not bad kids. They're good kids. But do you ever feel imprisoned by your own responsibilities? Like it's almost like life is this corner that you paint yourself into. And now you just got to fucking dance in the corner. Make the best of the corner. Yeah. We're all cornered in our own ways. I don't want to move. I don't want if I sound ungrateful or whatever. Yeah, man, it's just a really fucking hard day. A really hard day for no reason. Just because I wanted to think. I just, like, wanted some quiet time to myself. Whatever. So we'll move on. Woo! I'm down here. I got my blue microphone. I'm drinking it truly. Everything's good, baby. I've been following this Robin Hood thing. Dude, I fucking love it. I, I think it's so fun. I, uh, I've never thought stocks were fun. And um, God, just the, just the glee. Just the glee with which people are driving up this stock price. These, these fucking Reddit nerds. The revenge of the nerds, my friend called it. It's totally what it is, man. And uh, and and everyone, all this hand-wringing about like, oh, a lot of people are going to be hurt by this. Oh, a lot of people, oh, they're putting in a lot of money that they don't have to lose. All, I, I've been like trolling these fucking message boards and not like trolling like internet troll, like talking shit, but just like, just like looking at them. These, and like everyone knows like everyone's on the same page. It's comment after comment after comment. Like I'm, I'm willing to lose it all just to make these fuckers suffer. Diamond hands, rocket ship emoji. It's, it's pretty awesome. I think it's awesome. 
And um, I think that these people are just going to hold for as long as it feels like they should hold. Just they took a, a $2 stock and made it worth fucking $400. Man, I just, um, yeah. And there's there's a lot of, it really is the, the way you see this portrayed on the media, this corporate media. It's like so obvious that they're bought and paid for. It's just so obvious. Someone pointed out, like, back in Occupy Wall Street, like, that was the real fight. Like, the real issue now is income inequality. The real issue, it's not a problem that people are getting rich. It's great that people are getting rich. It's that some people are getting really rich and everyone else is stagnating or getting poorer, right? For decades, the middle class was shrinking from the 60s from the 60s, the middle class has been shrinking, right? But it wasn't a problem until the 90s because it was only shrinking because people were leaving the top and becoming wealthy. But since then, man, it's been shrinking because that's happening and people are falling off the bottom. And the minimum wage is fucking seven twenty five an hour. Get fucked. And um, yeah, so that was the real struggle, man. The real struggle was Occupy Wall Street. And then the the fucking Wall Street people and all, I don't, you know, the, the corporate media, they started telling us that, no, it's actually about, it's actually about culture war and identity politics and all this bullshit. It's classic divide and conquer. That's what it is. Classic divide and conquer, right? Have us fight amongst ourselves about this stupid culture war bullshit while they just keep getting rich and then we'll blame each other for why we keep getting poorer. No, man. This is like, this is the unity. This is the unity moment right here. And I don't know shit, okay? I'm fucking retard. That's also what I love about these. They call themselves retards. Potato in my ass and all these... <laughs> they literally refer to themselves as apes and retards. They're like, I, I just love it. I don't know. I think it's so cool. And I've never traded a stock in my life. I downloaded the TD Ameritrade app on my phone the other day. And uh, in the app store, in the Apple app store, it says uh, ages four and up. Uh, so I thought that explained a lot anyway. But um, that's just been wild. It's the weekend, though. Maybe that's why I'm feeling this way. I just thought of that. I was passing my days by watching the st the stock price of GME just all day long updating updating maybe it's today is the first day I couldn't do that and maybe I'm suffering withdrawal it's so weird that I would be like so invested in the narrative of this sort of stock that I don't own I don't own any I, I did download the app, but I don't have, <laughs> I literally, <laughs> I can't afford one share of GameStop right now. I'm waiting for a check to clear. Oh, man. But that's been pretty wild. Um, I did also start reading this book, the Helen Pluckrose, uh, James, what's his name book, Cynical Theories. And it's about how um, postmodernist philosophy has started to has um, turned into this social justice movement, um, and how it's uh, bad for everyone. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm, I I have this intuitive sense 
that this language that people use is, I don't know what it is, but I don't like it. And I don't understand it, but I don't like it. Like microaggressions and, uh, I, you know, I don't know, uh, um, all this critical race theory, critical gender studies. I, I never liked it. Even when I was in college, I didn't, I didn't like it. There was something that felt off about it to me. And it is kind of this like, this identity, I guess it's the identity politics, right? Where everything gets broken down into these narratives of group identities and oppressor and oppressed. And I'm not saying that oppression isn't real. Obviously it is, but there's just something about the way these people in college used to talk. And I've just noticed as I get older, that more and more people are talking this way. And it's just like you go on the internet and it's like everyone is a fucking amateur sociologist or gender studies major. And it's just, okay, maybe, I I don't know. Anyway, so I got this book and it it starts, the first part of the book is about um, a history of postmodern philosophy. And as I'm reading it, you know, it's sort of setting it up for how stupid it is and whatever. But as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, the way that these people feel reality is like, I kind of like it. You know, it's just about the, um, I guess it's sort of based on this this uh, fact that we cannot know anything for sure, right? And it takes, you know, uh, the, uh, the postmodernists take this um, to uh, this principle of skepticism and... Um, and take it further to, I guess, what people call radical skepticism, whereby all of all of society is lingui- all of what we know of as truth, all of what we accept as truth, is um, is um, determined linguistically as part of these meta narratives, which um, which include a sets of of uh, values and ideas whose main purpose is to hold in place certain uh, power hierarchies. But anyway, I mean, there's sort of like, the book is describing how, like, how ridiculous and absurd this, uh, this philosophy is. But as I'm reading it, I'm like, yeah, we, we can't know anything. Oh, that's right. We, well, our, our conceptions of, of truth are determined by, the ideas that we hold in our head, which is really in line with a lot of the sort of uh, law of attraction and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see if it gets to a point where it takes a turn, but I sort of bought this book with one idea in mind that I would, and and uh, now I'm I'm wondering if I'm, if I'm going to go the other way with it, but we'll see. I'll keep you updated. Um, I know you're dying to know how I receive the material that I'm reading and so I will not let you down um I will speak my truth yeah so the truth is relative there's no absolute truth I don't know I mean it's like eh, I don't know anyway I just started the thing I just started the thing so we'll see oh been a long time since I bought a book God damn, it's like a book with pages that I hold in my hand. I mean, I spend so much time driving back and forth to the city. I listen to podcasts. I listen to books on tape sometimes. But to, uh, sometimes I'll read 
a book on my Kindle if I'm real tr- really trying to get down and dirty. But I bought this book. It's got it's got covers. They, they had to cut down a tree to make this fucking thing. This is old school. Speaking of cutting down trees, had this guy come to my house today um, to try and sell me solar panels. And <laughs> he, one thing he had us do, he went first, he wanted to cut down some trees, which, and my wife wasn't having that. And I sort of get the thing. It's like, you want, you're, you're getting solar panels like to be environmentally friendly. So like, we're going to cut down trees to help the environment. I don't know. It's just sort of, uh, no, but the trees block the light. But it's like, okay, but th- that's like those leaves that are blocking the light, like those are the trees' solar panels. So, like, why do I have a right to my solar panels? They don't have a right to that. Anyway, I remember I thought it was where I went to college. I went to, uh, I went to a liberal arts college in Ohio, and my freshman year there were these four big, beautiful, mature, weeping willow trees sort of in the middle of the campus. Everyone used to read under them, and they were just like the most awesome trees. And then in the middle of my freshman year, they cut down. They're the best trees on campus, and they cut them down to build the Environmental Studies Building, which always seemed a very cruel irony to me. That you would have to deforest a plane to study the environment. I say no. Preserve the environment and study it from afar. That's what I say. Or that's what I just said just now. I said it. There's no denying that I said it. It has been recorded for posterity and it'll be available for all time. Well... It'll be available until the great crash. And then it'll be available until the end of time. But the end of time, the end of time's coming. But yeah, this guy, this solar panel guy, uh, there was some come on internet ad. I found this guy. I clicked on it. I filled out a form. And then they're like, yeah, we're going to come and free consultation. And you do the government incentives to blah, 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 blah. So, he came and he, the one thing I had to show him was my electric bill. And God, I forgot this fucking guy. He came in. The place was a wreck. Like just everything, just like crayons all over the floor, you know, stepping on crunching cereal. I had to like wipe milk off of the bench at our dining room table so that he could sit down. And it's just, this, oh, can I get you a cup of coffee? And he could tell he's like, I don't want... He's like, should I take my shoes off? It's like, uh, if you want to step on something sharp, go ahead. Oh, man, it was so fucking embarrassing. (laughs) I was just like not prepared for this dude to come at all. And he drove an hour to be there. But anyway, I showed him my electric bill. We're talking about how to do it. And he basically just told me, he was like, he looked at our power consumption. He's just like, there's no way we can put this many panels in your house. Apparently, I consume an obscene amount of power. And um, I like to think that it's because I'm very powerful. But of course, I know it's because I'm very wasteful. We do have electric heat, which costs a fucking fortune. But we have this also, we have this pellet stove. 
which don't be embarrassed. I didn't know what a pellet stove was either until I moved here. A pellet stove is kind of like a wood burning stove, but it burns like these things that look like little rat turds. They're like little, they're little pellets of pressed, they're bigger than a rat turd. It looks like gerbil food. They're these pressed sawdust pellets. And so, it, and they, they swear up and down that, that these are, this is waste sawdust. They don't, they don't cut down trees to make the sawdust. It's from the lumber where they do the thing and there's all the sawdust. That's what they say. I don't know. I'm not going into vet, but it's supposed to be environmentally friendly. It's carbon neutral. They say, I feel like I'm burning shit, but that's another thing. It's like carbon neutral to burn wood if it's less than 100 years old, but it's bad to burn oil. It's like you're releasing carbon into the atmosphere either way like who cares how old the carbon does it like is it like wine it like gets more more potent with age the carbon i don't know anyway um we have this pellet stove but it doesn't work so maybe when we get that up and running then then the heat situation will be probably taken care of i think i don't know i don't know anything and that is what attracts me to postmodern philosophy. How can I know anything? I can only know what the dominant narratives of the dominator culture in my society teach me. It's interesting reading the sort of the summary of these postmodern philosophers, you know, Derrida and Foucault and stuff is is how prominent these ideas are and what just like what i have always been taught a dominator culture yes i mean it just seems like it seems very straightforward so but then it also feels like the the critical race theory it it seems seems like a turn was taken somewhere i mean this postmodernism was seen as a departure from the enlightenment ideals of reason and science and evidence and and that um the scientific method is and, and uh, i mean i guess that's one thing about postmodernism is it rejects reason itself as a valid method for ascertaining what is likely to be true right because the idea that you should have to submit to a reasonable argument is itself according to postmodernism, um, uh, an imposition uh, of the existing social hierarchy serves to reinforce it because the, the, the dominant structure is built upon a system of reason and evidence. And, and then when you get into the weeds on that, it does sound kind of, I mean, it's not that it's crazy. Okay, fine. But then like anything could be true. And that's basically what they believe. It's nihilistic. It's kind of fun. It's kind of badass. It doesn't make me angry. Um, there's something gleeful about it. But then I guess that's what it is where it's like this sort of gleeful, irreverent kind of philosophy has somehow found its way into being like, meh, 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 meh. And I don't like the mer and I don't have the words for it, but I'm trying to learn the words. So anyway, that's why I'm reading the book. 
That's why I'm reading the book. Anyway, this has um, this has been fun for me. I feel better now. I came down here. I wasn't feeling so good. I was feeling really, I was feeling really trapped. And now sitting alone talking to myself in the basement, I feel free. And I guess freedom is just a feeling that, that's the feeling that we're all after. We all just want to feel free. We all want to feel free. We all want to create the lives that give us the greatest feeling of freedom. We all want to take on. It's a weird thing. It's this constraint and freedom. I want the freedom to take on greater and greater responsibilities, right? Because I want to be responsible. I want to, I want to serve. I want to serve myself. I want to serve my family. I want to serve the greater community. I want to serve humanity. I want to serve the planet. And I want to be free to do that. I want to be liberated to do that. But responsibility itself involves constraint. I want to be free to take on more constraints and and master those constraints so that I may be free to take on greater and greater constraints. Everything is a cycle, baby. It's a cycle. Wash, rinse, repeat. It's like, why should I wash it if I'm just going to repeat? Can I skip this cycle? There's no skipping cycles. You cannot skip cycles in the laundromat called life. There's no cycle skipping. Otherwise, we're just walking around. We didn't rinse. Now we're all soapy and we have an itchy butthole. So don't skip cycles. It'll make your butthole itch. Kiss your children. Love your children. Your children will soon be your grown-ups. I love my children. I'm so lucky to have them. I really am. I'm so lucky to have people who worship and adore me. And they're not lucky to have these false idols. I mean, your male role model is Mike Leibovitz. Is that a good thing? I don't know. My my daughter told me that I was the most handsomest man ever. It's like, good for me, but not so good for your standards, you know? I mean, it's weird when you're a dad, you have a daughter, you are the role model of, you are the male ideal for that kid. When they go out and they start dating, they're going to be comparing everyone to you. And that's just like... I'm flattered, but I don't know if that's good, baby, you know? I don't know. For my son, too. I mean, my son... I have a son who's is sort of gender fluid. I don't know if he was born that way. Or he just came out. He looked at me, and he said, Well, I definitely don't want to be one of those. So maybe he's more discerning. I don't know. It's probably just how he is. The other... I got another boy. Super, super macho. I really feel like... We, we, uh, you don't really have that much effect on your children. You take care of them, you love them, you help them learn, you read to them, and that, you know, they're going to be who they're going to be. You encourage them to follow their interests, to, to push themselves, to challenge themselves. You teach them manners, and mostly by example. You know, I've noticed that all my kids say 
please and thank you. I never taught them to do that. I just, I say it to them. So they say it back to me. They're little, what can you see monkey do? But I really think that like, in terms of their personalities and their interests and their level of ambition, there's very little that you can do. You can ruin them if you abuse and deprive them, sure. You can make them really fucked up and either they come out as a as a great artist or just, you know, just a, a catatonic. You can do that. You can fuck them up. But when you're talking about as long as you're meeting their needs, in terms of who they are, their essential qualities, I don't know, man. I mean, these kids are nothing alike. And they all had a relatively similar upbringing. So, so yeah, don't abuse or deprive your kids. Unless you want it to get really interesting, don't. Don't do it. I don't know who would say that. That's very irresponsible. I would never say that. But, uh, yeah, man. Just fucking love them. Okay. Well, I'm really not even here to tell you what to do. I'm just here to dump my own shit. So when I'm telling you to do something, I'm telling me to do it. Right? So let's not take shit personally. I'm talking to you. You're me as far as I know. All right. You might be somebody else. You might think of yourself as someone else than me. I happen to know that actually we are part of a unified one life. So there's that. Anyway, y'all. Anyway, me. Thanks for listening. That's it for this episode of the Mike Leibovitz Secret underground podcast recorded from an above ground basement adjacent garage love you talk to you later Shh.